This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we continue in the series, Step Closer. Today's message is entitled, Facing the Giant. How do I step closer to God when I'm facing a giant? Let's find out as we join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. I'm so excited for this moment because there's so much potential, so much that could happen in your life and in my life if we dive in. And I believe that if when people just like you choose to take a step of faith and move and accept this invitation to give room for the study of God's word, anything is possible. And one small step can profoundly affect your entire future. It really is possible. Satan knows the power of joining together with other believers. Jesus said this, Jesus said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Something happened. How many know there's a difference when Jesus steps into the room? There's a difference when Jesus steps into a coffee shop. There's a difference when Jesus steps into a room, just two or three other believers. Something happens when we gather together. And I want to just say this. Your odds for success in spiritual battles goes up significantly when you gather together with other believers. You have a better chance at winning your life battles when you gather together with other believers. I'm going to tell you straight up what the kind of point or the focus of the series is all about. Our Step Closer series is all about an invitation, an unbelievable invitation that isn't always accepted. The invitation has gone out, but not everybody takes advantage of it. And if we accept that invitation, we take a step closer and everything changes. Every person under the sound of my voice, you can do this. God has sent an open invite to everybody, to everybody. It's going out long and wide. Everybody has an invitation to this one thing. And what is it? Wait for it. It's in James chapter four, verse eight. James chapter four, verse eight. This is gonna be a foundational verse just for our whole series and then we'll go somewhere else with it. But it says this. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Say that with me. Come close to God and God will come close to you. There's an invitation that if we take a step toward God, guess what? He takes a step toward us. That there's an opportunity, and it doesn't matter what stage or age of life you're in, or your bank account, how much money's in there or isn't in there. It doesn't matter what career you're in or what school you attend. It doesn't matter the, the stage or season of life, whether you're married or you're single or whether you're in the retirement season of your life or what you have done up to this moment. That invitation is still available for everyone. Some translations say, draw close to God. It's like lean in, look in his direction. And if you do step closer, he steps closer to you. And when you take a step, God takes a step. When God steps into our picture, everything changes. And who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want it? Today, I want you to pause in the middle of all the crazy stuff that's happening in your life. Just pause for a minute. Look up from Facebook. Pause in the middle of all of it. And I want you to ask yourself a question. What if I stepped closer to God? What if I did? What would happen? 
What if I, no matter what stage, you might have been walking with Jesus for many years, but what if you step closer to God? What could be possible? You could be in a situation where you're just here because somebody drug you to church today. You didn't even want to be here. What would happen if you stepped closer to God? What, even if you messed up last night and you went out on a party and you binged and you did something that you're ashamed of and you don't want any of the church to know about, what if right now you step closer to God? What could happen? What could happen with your life? For this series, we're going to look at the life of a guy in the Bible named David. Now, David has a long life of ups and downs. He's strong and he's weak. He has highs and he's low. But he has aspects of his life that every one of us can identify with. And here's the interesting thing about him. He learned to worship in every stage of his life. In fact, God saw David as a person who stepped closer to him. In Acts, looking backward at David's life, this is what was talked about. It says in Acts 13, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So something about David, in every season of his life, he was able to step closer to God. He was not perfect. How many know there's no perfect people in church? So we can all identify with the fact that he was not perfect, but he was able to step closer, so much so that even, I'm talking, this dude was not a good dude sometimes. He did stuff that the Bible calls sin. And even in the middle of being confronted with the sin, he stepped closer to God. There was something about the way he lived that got God's attention so much that God stepped closer to him. And you and I have that same invitation. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, starting with verse 5 of 1 Samuel 16. Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, which was one of the sons, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. And in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, verse 10. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he was over until he arrives. Now, this is what I want you to think about. David in this particular story is overlooked. He is not noticed. David's overlooked. He's forgotten about. When all the sons, all the sons were to come together and be picked, he wasn't one of them. So David is this guy that's out in the shield taking care of stupid little things called sheep. He's out there, right? And the thing about David was is that David was not like the other. You ever feel like one of these is not like the others? David is not like his brothers. So God makes this commentary 
uh, through the story, and, and there's a distinction the narrator kind of gives to the writer of the, the, this, God, this uh, Bible book, 1 Samuel. There's something about him that is on the outside of the story. It's like everything's happening here, and he's not in it. He's overlooked. Did you know that attention is the most powerful force in all of humanity? We crave being noticed more than we do anything else in life. There's a famous study done back in the 1960s and 70s where there was an orphanage and they took seven kids in one room, seven infants and seven infants in another room. In one room, all they did was uh, give basic necessities. They changed the diaper, they gave them a bottle, but there was no singing to them, there was no bonding with an adult. And in the other room, they rocked them, cried with them, sang with them, they gave a lot of nurturing attention. And then they tracked those two groups of kids. And the one group of kids that were not nurtured, their physical bodies actually stopped growing. And it's a condition called deprivation dwarfism. And they were kind of stopped. They were prevented from growing. Their emotions, the relational interactive skills didn't work simply because they weren't nurtured or given attention when they were younger. And the other group grew up and they pretty much grew up normal because they had received the appropriate amount of attention. Now, I want you to consider that sense of need that humans have on our own life. We crave attention in big ways. We want somebody to notice us. And when we don't have attention or recognition, then we look for it, we look to create it, or we pursue it. We want it some way in our life. And when you are overlooked, you can feel invisible. Isn't that true? We can sometimes do stupid things when we're in that state. Nobody's watching me, so I, whatever I do, it doesn't matter. And then we begin to uh, have damaging behavior. We can lose our purpose in life. And then we do things with our body that seemingly nobody cares about. And we can feel like we're overlooked. And some people, they go to dark places when they're there. They go in to pursue sex or drugs or alcohol for temporary relief of attention. But then they move back to what they felt before they were chasing that feeling. They could give attention to our work or to the pain that we have or even depression. I know people that have love affairs with their depression. It's the only constant thing in their life. And when we're overlooked by people, friends, we can begin to think that we're overlooked by God. But God isn't like everybody else. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. He sees you and he notices you even though you feel like you're in an insignificant, invisible place. The Lord sees you. I love this little... Uh, glimpses of how God sees us hidden in the prophecies and hidden within Scripture. In Isaiah 49, God is speaking of Israel, and he's giving, there's language to the prophet of how God loves people. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. 
Your walls are continually before me. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, this isn't just something I like. I like to think that I'm in God's hands. Anybody else? I like to think he's got the whole world. But many times we think we can jump out of it. How many of you jumped out of his hands? At different points, it can feel like I'm so far away from God. But God goes so far to say his interest in us isn't in as, in, as if he's grasping it, but it's on his hands, engraved in his hands. You're so up in God, he, you can't get away from him. That he's so interested in you that he carries you. When God looks at his own hands, he sees you. God is so interested in people. The, the Bible and in other places says that he's searching to and fro. His eyes are looking for you. Why? Because you're a part of him. You're loved. You are important to God. And when God looks at his hands, he sees you. Now, David was noticed by God. And in this story, we see that he's out there and maybe not noticed by everybody else. But how many know God noticed David? Look at verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now this is getting to the point where I... I get really psyched because it's in this moment that we discover that God had been noticing David and David, even though he was out taking care of those sheep, if you feel like you're in an insignificant, invisible season of your life, don't miss. This is important. God is watching you right now. David's in an insignificant moment where, you know, he's out there. His brothers are getting the most important jobs. Everybody's talking about them. They're getting more likes on Instagram. Everything's so much better for them, right? And God noticed David and how he handled himself when he was with the sheep. God was watching. And by the way, because David knew how to take care of the sheep and he took it seriously in that season, God said, well, he can take care of a kingdom. But David, for some reason or other, there was something that was forged inside of David during this season of loneliness. He was overlooked. But God did something in him, and he had to feel insecure. How many of you know inferiority and insecurity and comparison are just part of humanity? And while David was out there and his brothers were being picked and he was overlooked, and by the way, there are some scholars that think that David was actually something um, different than his brothers. Either his mom was different or, or he was the result of an affair or something else. And the reason they think that is if you go into Psalm 51, when David is, is uh, singing to God his great confession after sinning with Bathsheba, and he says, surely I was conceived in sin. Now, we look at that as New Testament Christians, and we've got the entire Bible, and we look back, and we know about original sin, and we know about the grace of Jesus, and how God's love covers everything, and all that. We look at it from a different lens. But this is in the first third of the Bible, and David is saying, I was conceived in sin. That's a different vantage point. That somehow he was not like all the others. That potentially he was only half good compared to his brothers. And that's why his daddy didn't even announce him as one of the options at the beginning. Now, I don't know to what extent that would be true. I just know this. 
David had to be feeling like, what's wrong with me? How come I'm never picked to play on the team? How come somebody else always gets the girlfriend? How come I didn't get the job? And how I didn't get the money? Why is it that everybody, why is their marriage better than my marriage? Why is it that she got what I wanted? And whatever it is, we can identify with David's insecurities. And something out in the field was fashioned in David's life that he would carry with him for the rest of his life. This is what I love about David is because David was able to talk to God out in the field with his head and his heart. You can read about it in the Psalms because it's really his journal, if you will. He sang about everything. He's like, Lord, you're my rock and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And we love to talk about those. But he also sang, Lord, my best friend turned his back on me. Kill him. Well, see, now we're getting real up in here, right? Because the truth is you got a whole lot of other thoughts that go on inside of your brain too. And David had the insecurity, the frustration, the dark stuff, the things that we go through in our brain. David had all of that. But what he was able to do is he was able to sing it to God. Somehow he opened up to God and he began to tell God what he was thinking. He started telling the Lord about what he was feeling. And as he did that song, God entered his song. See, David learned that while he was out in the fields and it was so lonely and he didn't know what the future held, he started talking to the Lord. He said, Lord, the water's up to my neck and I'm sinking. Where are you? And you'll see in the same song, yet will I trust you, my rock and my salvation. See, somewhere in the middle of his verbalizing his real thoughts to God, God entered the song and built him back up to see who he really was. You know what I think? I think too many of us carry so much on our emotional skeleton that's too much that God never intended us to bear. And we've been keeping it in, bottling up, and then it explodes in bad ways on people around us or in self-destructive behavior. And David learned to sing out those things to God. He was overlooked, but he didn't keep it to himself. He sent it to God. Friends, nothing is off limits when it comes to communication with God. Nothing. I want to go somewhere I shouldn't go on the internet. I, I, I'm angry with my spouse. I am ticked off at my parents. My boss, I don't understand why they're treating my co colleagues better than me. I don't know how to pay the bills. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. When you hit that moment, friends, Facebook is not going to help you. Snapchat's not going to give you a release. David was able to sing. And friends, this is what I want you to catch. How did he do this? Well, the biblical way to step closer in the middle of feeling overlooked is the word worship. See, worship is written into the DNA of human beings. People will draw near to something. Our attention will be sucked in by something or someone what gets your attention right now? What gets your effort? Who consumes your brain time? How do you vent? Worship acknowledges God and opens the window for God to look back at you. David 
worshiped not with somebody else's songs, but David worshiped the real song, a real time song from his heart to God. And sometimes it didn't make sense, and sometimes it wasn't pretty, but because he did, he opened the window up and it became somewhat like an umbilical cord to heaven, where when he was feeling the pressure on the inside and he began to sing to his creator, his creator heard him out in the field when he wasn't in the middle of a sanctuary with a whole bunch of other perfect people. His creator heard him and then God took the crud that was in his heart and took it out through the umbilical cord and replaced it with the nutrients from heaven. You don't have to be a singer to worship God. There are many different ways to connect and worship God. One of my friends, Scott Sample, is an amazing artist. And he'll go early in the morning and he'll do his devotions with art. And uh, it's amazing. If you ever want to see his stuff, look him up. It's It's amazing stuff. But here's the thing I like about God. God doesn't depend on a specific style of worship. He depends on a heart that opens the door to God. So not everybody's a singer, but I can tell you this, worship or music will take you somewhere. Music will take you somewhere. If you don't believe that, you're lying to yourself. So things are going really good. What do you listen to? It gets you in the mood. Things are going pretty bad and you're ticked off and things aren't good and you turn on that country song on the radio that talks about kicking the dog and your car, truck falling apart and maybe you need to leave your spouse or whatever. How many know that's not taking you where you need to go? <laughs> and if you're feeling lonely and you start listening to some sappy romantic music about how you need a man and you don't have one right now, and now all of a sudden you're in depression, girl, turn the radio off. It takes you somewhere. When we gather together, that's our goal. Our dream is to get closer to God, not just have a nice little sermon in the middle of the service and walk out and go on with our life. No, we want to draw near to God, to be close to him. Music is one of those things that can get us there, and it's also one of the things that can take us away. The point is we want to get closer to God. Come on, somebody. We want to be near to him. God wants to hear your song, your highlight reel, your agony of defeat. And he wants us to acknowledge him in the field of our life before we get the palace of our dreams. David learned to sing when he was alone, and he carried that with him through every season and stage of his life. But when he was overlooked, he had a choice to make. And his choice is, will I worship or won't I? And then I've gone through some stuff throughout my lifetime and, and uh, awkward, alone seasons, wondering what was going on when I moved from Michigan to Minnesota in college and feeling alone. I remember uh, just feeling overwhelmed. Anybody here ever feel overwhelmed? And I, I remember going to the prayer room on the college campus at North Central, and I remember just closing the door and just talking to God in real time. And it started off really bumpy and horrible communication. And I was just like, I just don't like life. I'm having a hard time, God. And, you know, I'm just unscripted talking to God about what I was feeling. And somewhere that began to transition. And I, I, I started singing all the hymns that I remember when I was kidding. You know, oh, the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, the blood of Jesus. And I would sing songs like, you know, that just kind of erupted out of my soul. And I'm telling you, like, it wasn't perfect. It probably sounded horrible and nasty outside the door. But in that room, I began to meet with God. And as I did, something happened. God jumped into my story, and he took that stuff that was so confused off my heart, that thing that was weighing me down, and he lifted it off of me. And I walked out of the room the same circumstances I had before I walked in, but I walked out free, baby, because I had met with my creator. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then you take it through life. You see, I felt like I was overlooked. I didn't know if anybody saw me. I didn't know what my future held, but one day a, a woman came into my life and I got married and then it introduced a whole nother set of prayer requests, right? Because we had kids and as kids came into our story and we felt like we didn't have enough money and we felt like we were overlooked and other people were getting paid more than us, we had to discover along the way to keep singing, keep worshiping, keep plugging in. And as we have, we've discovered it's not about the accomplishments of life. It's about who you journey with. David out in the field all the way through his story, he kept singing to the Lord. He kept worshiping God. He kept bringing his requests before the Lord. He kept even in the nasty parts, when he messed up and he was confronted, he was able to say, but Lord, you've been with me all this way. I'm not hiding anything from you right now. This is where I am. And because he was talking to the Lord, the Lord began to fill his song. Church, you can have your song filled by the Lord himself when you open the window to him and you draw step closer to God. You move toward him. He comes toward you and he can do more than you can do for yourself. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. Worship. We must learn to trust God in suffering and enthrone him in success. As we start the series, I, I just felt like I had to start with this because you're like, I want to I want to know, what's your secret, Pastor Nate? Do you ever get stressed out? Oh, yeah. Do you, are you worried about your kids ever? All the stinking time. What about your marriage? How do you make it through when things are... How many know Mars and Venus and men and women? It's, it's, it's a for real thing. It happens. You know what? All I know is when I don't have the words to say and I stop and worship my creator, I'm still singing like I did in middle school. I'm still singing like I did in college. I'm still singing. Now as we got one kid married and the other ones, we'll see when that happens. But listen, friends, it's not about getting to a point where I'm free. It's learning to live free by staying connected to my creator. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.